Father, we thanks for your goodness this morning to us already as we sing of your holiness, as we sing of your mercy, of your great faithfulness, and we see it lived out in a story like Jonathan. We're grateful that you are a pursuing God that loves us, that cares about the details of where your presence dwell. We pray that you would teach us, mold us, shape us this morning as we look at your word. Meet us this morning. We ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, well, we are in 1 Kings chapter 6 as we journey through kind of these last couple of weeks of a series we've been in for almost 20 weeks now called We Want a King. So if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 6, whether it's a hard copy on your device, you can follow along on the screen. Um, and if you are reading along with us, or if you scan at your Bible right now, just look down at the chapter, here's what you're going to find. Um, it's a lot of details of the temple being built, specifically like if you like HGTV or if you're an interior designer or an architect, this chapter is your jam, right? You're like, wow, like this is unbelievable. Uh, but for most of us, this to me reads like my high school math class. You know, I'm in, I'm in my high school math class and I'm like, this is, this is pointless. Like I will never use this information again, which kids, I haven't. I have not used geometry. <laughs> And I'm kind of going like, I'm not going to be an engineer. I'm not like, what, like this is, I just got to get through this, right? And sometimes when we read chapters like this in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we go, how does this have any relevance to my life at all? It feels like I should just skip over this chapter. It doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not fully understanding. But again, we need to zoom out and go, what is God trying to do? What is he trying to do in the midst of this whole story? And why does he include these 38 verses in chapter 6? He gives us these details for a reason. What in the world is the reason? Why is this in the Bible? Why does this have uh, life? What does this mean for me as I try to walk with Jesus today? So let's try and figure out what that means. And in the midst of this chapter, again, if you just look down at your Bibles, just pick any verse, any random verse, verse, verse 15. This is almost how all of the chapter reads, uh, the details of where the, te the temple is built and when, but then it's all on the inside. Verse 15 just says, he lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar from the floor to the house of the walls of the ceiling. He covered them on the inside with wood and he covered the floor of the house with the boards of cypress. It's just detail after detail of how the temple is reconstructed during Solomon's reign. But if you read the whole chapter, you should. There, there ought to be, there's three verses that stick out to you because it's just detail after detail after detail after detail. But then if you get across verse 11, 12, and 13, it should disrupt you to go, wait, wait a second. These aren't details of the interior. This is God speaking and in the midst of those details, we should pay attention to what God is saying. So look down at verses 11, 12, and 13 that give us a clue for why these details are important. It says this, now the word of the Lord came to Solomon. This is God talking. He says, concerning this house that you are building, if you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and not forsake my people Israel. Verse 13 is key for us there. If you write in your Bible, if you're highlighting your Bible, circle, underline the word dwell. The word dwell. In the midst of all these details on the interior of the temple, God says this. This is my whole point of Solomon, you building this temple so that I would dwell with my people. 
That's the whole idea. And so the reason we have all these details, which we're going to unpack, we're not going to walk through verse by verse, which is what we normally do, but I don't think that would be as helpful for us as to zoom out and go, what's the whole point of God's dwelling place in the temple, and how does it affect us today? So if you're taking notes, this is the big idea that I hope you walk away with this morning in the little bit of time we have left. If you go like, what, what was church about today? It's about this, that God cares deeply. God cares deeply about the details of where his presence dwells. God cares deeply about the details of where his presence dwells. So in this idea of God creating all things, he has a desire to dwell with his creation. We see that in the very beginning of the Bible as he creates Adam and Eve and he desires to walk with them in relationship. And all the imagery that we see, if you read back into chapter 6, is you see garden imagery within the temple. Golden trees that hearken back to what it was like to be in relationship and dwelling place in the original garden with God. He, God has always had a desire to dwell with humanity and still has a desire for that. But if you know the Bible, you know the story in chapter 3, the very beginning, man, it gets off the rails real quick because as God desires to dwell with humanity, humans decide to walk away from God. They disobey him and Adam and Eve as they eat the fruit and it has ripple effects and consequences. The Bible calls that sin and it's really a rupturing in all relational facets of dwelling with God. Not only is your relationship with God broken, your relationship with yourself is broken, your relationship with other people are broken, your relationship with creation is now broken. That is the evidence of what the Bible calls sin. And it really messes up the idea of dwelling with a holy God. In the midst of that, Adam and Eve get pushed out of the garden because this is where God's holiness dwells. And they have to figure out what it looks like to live apart from him because of their disobedience. And what we see in the temple and other places in the story of the Bible, which we're going to get to in a minute, is that God says, I still want to dwell with you. That's what this temple is about. that says that even though you've sinned, even though you've messed up, I'm going to create a way for you to get back to me. So the first point of the temple is that God desires to dwell with his people. The second part of understanding why God builds the temple and the details of it is because God wants to communicate to his people and to everyone else that he's holy. If you're not familiar with the word holy, it's, it's not just being really good, but it's actually like set apart. It means like this God of the Bible, he's not like anyone else. He's created all things. He's in all things. He's over all things. He's the most powerful entity ever alive. He is set apart from the rest of creation. He's holy and righteous and pure. There's no one else like that. And what the temple is doing in the details of the temple as you have the courtyard. Here's a picture of the temple. Some of the details that we look at. This is a good rendering of what the temple would have looked like. The inside of the temple is actually about the size of this room. And there was a courtyard where you would make sacrifice and then you move closer. And the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant is, those cherubim right in front of the, or the side by side of the Ark of the Covenant, the closer you got the closer you got to God's presence and his holiness. And so all these rituals that the priest had to sacrifice because of sin to make a right sacrifice that was clean, they would have to clean themselves, they would have to wear special clothing to enter into the closer aspect of where God dwells in his holiness. 
Because the temple details, what they teach us is that it's no small thing for a holy God to dwell with a sinful people. It's no small thing for a holy God to dwell in the midst of a sinful people. So God's people have to offer sacrifice and they have to be made clean so they can come into God's presence because his presence is holy. And what I think this picture in 1 Kings chapter 6 and the details of the temple tell us is that God still desires to dwell with his people in the midst of the story at this point, but he is holy and righteous. And so there's certain barriers that have to be maintained because of God's holiness. I want to watch a video um, from the Bible Project this morning. It's about four minutes long. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, they're up in Portland. They do unbelievable work and tying the whole story of the Bible back to Jesus being central. And they talk specifically about the temple and its uh, presence in the story and why it's important. Let's go ahead and watch this together. If you could go back to the city of Jerusalem during Bible times, the biggest thing you'd see is the temple. This beautiful building was designed by King David and built by King Solomon, and they believed that it was the home of the God of the universe. Wait, I thought God's home was in heaven. Well, the whole point of this earthly temple is that it's the place that overlaps with God's heavenly home. The temple is where God lives and rules all creation as king. That's cool, but even Solomon, who built the temple, didn't believe that it could contain the God of the universe, right? Yeah, the building was just a symbol, and it pointed to the fact that all of creation is God's temple. And that's actually what the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, is all about. Really? It says that creation is God's temple? Well, it doesn't need to say it. The whole story shows it. In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It's like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that's why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It's the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation? Well, the biblical prophets anticipated the day when God would create a new temple with a new priesthood. That's when God's presence would fill all of creation. And when the Israelites returned to the land, they did rebuild the temple. But that temple didn't turn out the way the prophets hoped. In fact, later Israelite prophets said that this temple was hopelessly corrupt. So they're still waiting for the ultimate temple. And here we come to the story of Jesus. He said, 
that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way. And he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest, and he didn't work in the temple. Right. Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule, was filling the world through his own life, death, and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple, and this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That's a really big claim. And it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. Yeah, like when Peter says, you all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell. So at the end of the story, do we ever get a new physical temple? Well, not exactly. What we see is a renewed cosmic temple, just like Genesis 1. And this new creation doesn't need a temple building because through Jesus, all creation is now the place where God rests and rules the world with his people. Man, I think that's such a powerful picture of the story of God and his presence dwelling in these different pockets throughout the storyline of the Bible. And really what the storyline of the Bible is, is that it's this God that creates it, but sin breaks everything. It ruptures everything as we've talked about. And God is on a mission to redeem all of creation. My friend Anthony G., who's the head pastor up at Redemption Flagstaff, some of you he preached maybe last year, some of you guys know him, he has this beautiful illustration that's been helpful for me when thinking through God's presence dwelling in different pockets throughout the story. He talks about the history of salvation being like a crescendo. So if you know what a crescendo is, that's a music term. It comes from two root words. It comes from the Latin, and it comes from Italian. And the Latin, it means to grow, and the Italian, it means to increase. And so a crescendo in a song, kids, it goes like this. Like it starts soft, and it gets louder, and it gets louder, and it gets louder, and it gets louder like this. Like that's what a crescendo does in the midst of a song. And when you feel it in a, a song, you feel it in your body. It goes like this. Let's listen to a 30-second clip of a crescendo of a symphony. Listen to this and watch this really quickly. crescendo works. The song gets bigger and louder as it goes, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds to this point of so much excitement. There's fire blowing everywhere in the midst of the video, and that's what God's presence dwelling with humanity looks like. If you trace back the story of the Bible, which is what we're going to do right now, just for this last bit of time, we're going to see this crescendo because it starts with perfect harmony in the midst of God dwelling with his people in the garden. But because of their sin, like we talked about, they get removed because of their consequences. And then the song starts slow. It starts with a tent 
called the tabernacle. God rescues his people out of slavery. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build this tent, which will kind of be mobile. And it'll still be powerful, but it's a soft, powerful. And then it gets bigger. In the temple, what we see in 1 Kings chapter 6, it's brick and mortar now. There's gold. It's larger. And not only is it larger, but we're going to see next week in the dedication of the temple, 1 Kings 8 and verse 41, it's actually for the people that don't know God as well. Because as people come through Jerusalem and they see this unbelievable temple and they're going, man, this is crazy. And they look and they go, there's no idol in this temple. What is that about? It's an invitation to all of the nation to understand what it means to be with God. That he desires relationship, not just with his people Israel, but with all people. And the crescendo gets bigger and it gets louder. But then because of the disobedience of God's people, what happens? They get driven out of their land. Their temple gets into ruins. And you go, what happened to the song? In the midst of the song, and if you were with us a couple of years ago, in the summer we did Nehemiah, the rebuilding of this temple, but it's not really the same as it was before. And you're going, what happened to the music? What happened to the song? It was starting to build, and then it kind of flatlines. And I don't know if you've experienced this when you're watching YouTube or live TV connected to your internet, and all of a sudden your internet goes off, and it just says buffering. And it's like, ah. Oh. So God's people, it's building, it's building, and then it just buffers. For 400 years. That's a long time to wait for something, right? In the midst of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of kind of like silence. Like, is God still playing this song? Like, what happened? But it's just getting ready to build even louder. Because then we see the person of Jesus step into the scene. And he is the physical embodiment of God dwelling with his people. It's not just a tent. It's not just a building. It's actually a person that walks on the earth. And he goes around and he heals people. And he saves people. And he calls people to this life of what it means to walk with God. And his presence to dwell with you. And the music gets really loud in those three years of Jesus' public ministries. He's doing those types of things. But then something curious happens. The music stops again. It doesn't just buffer. It's like a couple of months ago, we were at home, and it's an evening, and all of a sudden, we had a blackout. Not just in our house, but in the whole neighborhood. The whole neighborhood blacked out because of the storm. And we had zero power. you got to imagine God's people as they follow him. They see Jesus and they've been waiting for this Messiah to make everything right again. They're going, the music is building. Here it comes. We're going to be free from all this oppression. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth because Jesus is here with us. And then he dies. He gets killed. He gets captured and Followers of Jesus must be going like, this doesn't make any sense. We believe that this was the Messiah. And like so many other people that claimed to be the Messiah before, now he is dead. And it's like a total blackout of the song. And you go, what happened to the music? And in the midst of that, that's the biggest build of the whole song, that silence of those three days. And why did Jesus have to die in that moment? He's hearkening back to what happens at the temple, at the tabernacle, where there has to be this clean space developed because of God's sinful people. You remember that they have to sacrifice a lamb so they can enter into the holy of holies. And Jesus is the ultimate lamb. That's what he says on the cross, that he's the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate clean space so that we can be in relationship and dwell with God again. And on that third day, the stone is gone. They can't find him. 
anywhere. They run. They're looking for him. They can't find his body because he has risen from the dead. He's beaten death. He gives us the access to God that we've never had before. And then he hangs out with his followers for a little bit of time, and he breathes the Spirit on him. And so they got to be thinking, okay, this is it. New heaven and new earth are happening. It's happening. He is who he said he is. We never have to look back. And then he leaves. Like, What's happening to the song? He, he leaves again. And you're going like, I, I don't, I, they're going, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to us. And he ascends to the right hand of the Father in Acts chapter 1, if you know the story. But the music's not done. It actually builds and gets louder. Because what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to give you my spirit. And for us, we go, man, I'd rather have Jesus in person than have his spirit. A lot of us feel like that. Like he's flesh and blood. He's right here. But he goes, no, actually, my spirit is better if I leave and I send my spirit. Because now... God's presence and dwelling with his creation, it's not relegated to one tent that's moving around. It's not relegated to one place in Jerusalem, this brick and mortar temple. It's not relegated to one person in the person of Jesus. No, now the temple where God dwells is in every one of you, scattered throughout the world. And that's what we're called to be as Christians. We see that. Paul connects that to us in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what he says. He says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you hear how loud the crescendo is at this point? The temple of God lives in each and every one of us that have called ourselves Christians, that have bent our knee to Jesus. His Spirit comes inside of us, and we get to be the representatives of God to other people, to a hurting world that need to know about Jesus, that need an answer, and they're looking for these answers in all these other places, and they're not finding it because their answer is only really found in Jesus. We ought to feel the weight of that in the midst of us being a carrier of God's holiness and his presence. I love this quote from Sky Jatani in his book, Immeasurable. He talks about his training as a hospital chaplain. And how he was trained in seminary that when he touches the door handle of the hospital he goes into or the room he goes into, that door handle is a reminder of you are the presence of God, representing the presence of God to that patient, whoever that patient is. You are called because of my spirit living in you to be a representative, to bring dignity back to someone that doesn't have dignity, to bring healing back to somebody that is hurting. And so he would remember that as he would walk into every single patient that he got to see as a chaplain. He says this in his book. He says, our calling as followers of Jesus is to rehabilitate, to give people back the dignity the world has taken away. That happens when we carry the presence of God into every room we enter and into every life we encounter. And there we announce the good news that they are created in the image of God, that they are inherently worthy of love, and that God has revealed the extent of his love for them through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. 
the crescendo of the song is at an all-time high. God doesn't just dwell in those static places anymore. He dwells with us. As we go and we get to be the representative, just like Jonathan's story, the representative to give somebody dignity, to pull them out of the mud and go, you matter. God loves you. He cares for you. You matter. So many messages are telling people the opposite of that. And we, as God's presence, get to pronounce and be his ambassadors. The temple is missional. God's presence is missional. We ought to be missional people. But the song's not over yet. There's one more rise in the crescendo. Revelation 21, at the end of the Bible, the end of the story, John has this vision of what the new heaven and the new earth are going to look like as, as Jesus comes back again. He makes everything right and he makes everything new. Listen to what he says in Revelation 21, verse 22. He said, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. When Jesus returns and he comes back and he makes everything right and he sheds every tear and every pain is gone, we won't even need a temple because he will be with us. It says the temple will be God. It will be Jesus and the Lamb. And so much so that we won't even need the sun. Every square inch will be made right again. And that's the hope for the Christian that Jesus is going to come back, that he's made a way for us to get connected to him again through his son. And we get to go and we get to tell others about that connection. God cares deeply about the details where his presence dwells. And he cares about how it dwells in you if you're a follower of Jesus. Let's be men and women that love him well so we can love others well, so we can bring dignity to wherever we go. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thanks for this reminder of you loving us, caring for us, caring about the details of where your presence dwells in the midst of you being holy and right and good. God, be with us as we do our best to love you and love others. We ask that you would go before us in the rest of our time this morning. We love you and pray in your name. Amen.